Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. Now, I know you're over there worrying that I'm going to be all ornery today because you had to sit through about four hours of text message grumbles from me during the Pistons game when they let DeMar DeRozan go coast to coast for a dunk in the crucial closing seconds, followed by the Nuggets game where they come through and play just (laughs) incredibly soft defense and just have some absolutely mind-bendingly stupid plays down the stretch of that game to throw that one away. You probably were worried I was going to be all angsty and and ready to just pop shots at everybody uh, after two of my least favorite teams turned in very unfavorable performances uh, on Wednesday night. But the opposite is true, Andrew. For two reasons, I'm in a great mood today and I'm ready to talk hoops for you. Number one, We have been ignoring Van Vliet all year long. We have basically not mentioned him (laughs) whatsoever. We give him the name check, and I put him into the underrated players conversation. I heard you chuckle, and you came back at me, and you said something along the lines of, well, I usually think of this more in terms of star players. You I did. I was pretty condescending on that one. Well... Guess what? Van Vliet went John Paxson. He went Steve Kerr last night. Game winner from the corner. Ice in his veins. If you're a Raptors fan, you're pretty excited about that (laughs) because you're going to need those supporting guys to be able to hit shots when defenses collapse on DeRozan. But I just want everyone to know we're taking full credit for the open floor bounce. That win for Toronto was completely courtesy of us. So that's one reason I'm in a good mood. Okay. Second reason... You know, it's spring cleaning time in here, LA, you know, unlike on the East Coast where it's, you know, four feet of snow and you were dealing with 70 mile per hour winds, uh, (laughs) the the sun's back out. So I was doing some spring cleaning and I, you know, did that coming of age decision. Uh, I decided to get rid of about 90% of my card collection, which I had been lugging around with me since, uh, you know, I was about seven to 10 years old. I did. Yes. It was time to let this is, this should be a day of mourning, not excitement. Come on. Look, I'm getting to it, Andrew, because I was letting go of all those (laughs) checklist cards, you know, all the ones that are just the, the menial role players who are never going to amount to anything. The Allah Abdel Nabis of the world uh, had to go to goodwill. However, okay. I spent, you know, basically the years 1990 to 1993 seriously collecting basketball cards, you know, age 7 to 10, that was my wheelhouse. And after that, I just fell off the map hard. However, tucked away in a box that I have not opened in years. I have no idea how it got there was a Tim Duncan rookie card. I immediately raced to eBay. I'm, let me let me tell you, Andrew, <laughs> this card is selling for well north of three figures. Okay, so I hit the absolute jackpot. And it's funny because there's no. It was like ninety seven or something. There was no way I was collecting cards there. I have no recollection of how I got it. Um, I wasn't even a Tim Duncan fan really until about two thousand eleven. So what I'm telling you is this. Yeah. To quote David Kahn. It's manna from heaven. The basketball gods are smiling on me today. They put the the Van Vliet game winner goes in. Tim Duncan goes into my uh, you know treasure trove of most prized assets. And now I'm ready to talk hoops with you. All right. Well, I have a couple responses here. First of all, I've been a Van Vliet guy, and we can get to it. We got oh, a second sure you Van Vliet question, so we're gonna we're gonna circle back to Freddie Van Vliet uh, later in the podcast, but. I do. I. What do you? What do you mean? North of three figures? <laughs> what? What is that? What's the price on a, on a Tim Duncan rookie card these days? Look, someone was selling it for three hundred and fifty dollars on eBay. That's all I'm going to say. 
Wow. I know. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, well, look. So did you sell it? I feel like that'd be a little bit of a betrayal to sell yours. Oh, of course I wouldn't sell it, Andrew. I'm going to make a shrine to it in my living room. I'm going to frame it. <laughs> I got to get it behind the museum glass, but it's tricky. I don't want it to be in direct sunlight because I have to keep it mint, of course. But look, it. I'm just saying I was digging for gold. I didn't think I was going to find anything, and I found a wonderful nugget uh, in the middle of what was a very emotional day, you know, letting go of... Probably, you know, six, seven thousand basketball cards was not easy. Yeah, that's an, I'm, I'm glad that you'll have a Duncan Shrine um, and surprised that you didn't have one already. No, I did. Uh, it's going to be I, expanding, I, though. <laughs> All right. Well, look, we should get into the questions. I am a little disappointed you didn't give me a heads up that you were getting rid of all those cards because I am something of a hoarder when it comes to random basketball memorabilia. And I... De- I'm not saying I would have taken all 3,000, but I would have taken some of them off your hands. Yeah, I had some Liddell Eccles with your name on it. You know, we could definitely say that. <laughs> exactly. All right, good. Just just like earmark some of those, okay? I don't want all of them, but I want a few of them. Um, let's get into it, though. We have been avoiding talking about the Rockets for the better part of the last six weeks. Andrew. And they have currently won 17 games in a row. They are tearing through the league, and we need to talk about it. You're using that royal we, Andrew. Do you have a mouse in your pocket? I have not been avoiding talking about the Rockets (laughs) whatsoever. You just don't want to talk about them because you're afraid you're going to have to admit you've been wrong for six months. Okay, well, this is a question from Sam that will be a nice jumping off point for us because we need to we need to talk through some of this. So Sam says, I, along with seemingly everyone else, reckon that the Warriors will win the title. But if the Rockets were to beat them in the playoffs, will we all feel a little bit stupid when we look back and see that we never saw this coming? I mean, one loss out of the last 30 odd games when Harden, Paul and Capella have all played is pretty emphatic. Not to mention that they've beaten the Warriors twice throughout that stretch. And not to mention that they're currently on a 17-game winning streak. So, what do you think, though? I, it's, it's a good point. I mean, there's definitely a lot of evidence that the Rockets are very for real. And uh, I think that most, even among smart NBA people, I think most people are kind of politely shrugging them off as, as like legitimate Warriors challengers. So where are you right now? I think maybe people are just saving their breath because they know that conversation's coming, right? Because we always have to, you know, put somebody up as the lead challenger. And I think this year there's really no question who's going to be in that seat given what's happened to the Spurs, what's happened to the Cavs. And then I think general skepticism about the readiness of the Raptors and the Celtics. I mean, I have not been sleeping on the Rockets at all. I was on them in July. I'm still on them. I, I actually got a question from one of our listeners who very sketchily lives in Costa Rica and was asking me for gambling advice. So I don't want to get too deep into that. <laughs> but I, look, I looked at the odds and the Warriors were like two to three and the Rockets were like four to one. And to me, Golden State is still absolutely the fra- favorite. But that, that spread seems too wide. And I'm not a gambling person. I don't recommend gambling. I'm not handing out tips you know, on a, a five-star hotline. But <laughs> like ankle tweaks happen, right? And what we've seen from Houston is... By and large, they've had pretty good health, especially recently. They're clicking on all cylinders. They've got great chemistry. They play hard and for each other defensively, which I think is the most underrated part about them. And Harden's been on Mm -hmm. another level, and Chris Paul has been fantastic. So they have a lot going for them. If anyone besides Golden State wins the title this year, I absolutely think it will be Houston. And uh, I think 
there is a, a built up uh, you know, questions uh, that are right to be there from years and years that we've talked about previously. I think that's really the number one thing that's holding them back from uh, garnering more acclaim. And those questions apply to Harden. They apply to Chris Paul, but they also apply to Mike D'Antoni. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even now I'll look up and D'Antoni will have Harden and Chris Paul in like late in the game. Rockets are usually up double digits and I just don't really get it. I, like you would think that even like Daryl Morey would would sit him down and be like, look, there's a bigger picture here and we need to like be very careful going forward because you compare that to the Warriors like. I mean, Durant is is hovering around 30 minutes a game most nights. Same with Steph Curry. And uh, and the Rockets just aren't really playing that game as far as rest is concerned, which hasn't hurt them that thus far. I mean, Chris Paul missed some time, which like weirdly is, is good because it forced D'Antoni to keep him on the sidelines and that could pay off. But like... Uh, that would be one question I have with D'Antoni is whether that element is going to catch up with them. But beyond that, I think it's almost unfortunate that the Warriors exist because we we get caught talking about the Rockets within this prism of the Warriors constantly. And, uh, and I think that there's room to discuss them apart from that. Like, you're right. Harden is incredible. I mean, like watching him against the Bucks Wednesday night, he just, like, I don't know what it is about him. I, I haven't seen anyone in the league be able to stop him from getting to the rim off the dribble. And, like, he he's not that fast. Like, he, I mean, he's crafty, but he's not, like, I, I don't really get it. Yeah, one advantage of having, like, a 40 usage rate for multiple seasons in a row and being run into the ground by your coach is that you know every counter to your moves <laughs> because you've seen every single one. You've gotten every single possible rep there is. And he's just developed this ridiculously deep catalog of counters to the counters. It's almost like a chess player. It's like, you know, he's he's achieving machine mode, you know, where he's like, he's the... It's wild, he's, yeah. He's the deep blue of ball handlers. I mean, he really knows exactly what he wants to do anytime he's going one-on-one, and they've gotten him enough shooters, so it's so hard to double him because you're paying one way or another. Um, I still am pleading to you, Andrew. Come around to the good side. These guys are actually fun to watch, no matter <laughs> what you think and no matter what a lot of people on the internet say. Uh, they are. And are you with me though on this? They're clearly the second best team in the league. And if we had the ideal setup where it was a one to 16 playoff format, the finals would be Houston versus Golden State, don't you think? Uh, Yeah, I think that they are pretty clearly the second best regular season team and the playoffs, the jury is out. Um, But I, I think that I, you're not gonna get me to admit that I like watching them because I just I'm I'm not a huge fan. Like Harden, for everything I just said, he's like half the time he's going to the rim, he's not even making like a sincere attempt at getting a shot off. He's just drawing contact and kind of like flailing his way to the baseline and then hitting two free throws, and that's kind of frustrating. And you know some of the fouls he draws on the perimeter are pretty frustrating. So. Don't get me wrong. The Rockets are still incredibly obnoxious, but watching them this past week against the Celtics and then against the Bucks and the Thunder on Tuesday night, like they are, they are incredible. And a, a lot of times that this, uh, this Rockets era gets compared to a video game, but like for me, it's a very specific comparison. When I, pl- I, 
used to play NCAA football constantly. Have you ever played video games? <laughs> Don't get sidetracked with my weirdness. Just keep going. <laughs> probably not. Probably not. But anyways, there was a uh, there was a play in NCAA football that I had mastered, where basically it it required it was like one one was a. a fly pattern down the left-hand side and then there was a receiver streaking across the middle and then there was someone in the flat and basically like it required one or two very simple reads and it was completely unbeatable and that is sort of what the Rockets offense is like they basically do the exact same thing every time and it involves Harden or Chris Paul reading the defense and a lot of times they're, they're just going over the top to Capella inside or they are like hitting someone on the wing, whether it's Mba Mute or Ariza or PJ Tucker, or it's Harden going to the hoop. And there, there are like three or four wrinkles there, but they are kind of unstoppable altogether. And uh, so watching them run that over and over again, and basically like watching teams have no answer, is is pretty wild for a while, and then it can get a little old. No, I hear you. Look, because you, you started off about five minutes ago and you said, hey, his play against the Bucks game and going through my head, my first thought was you could pick any game. This guy has been ridiculous for basically six months straight and in turn, his team has been ridiculous. Um, Andrew, you know I'm a reality-based well, person. You know I love excellence yeah. and you know I really adore consistent excellence. That's what they've been. And I get <laughs> it, it. Consistent excellence does have an expiration date. So I understand your grievance here. What I'm saying is I don't think you've even given these guys a chance. You're bored before you even got started. Yeah. I mean, look, I haven't liked the Rockets for three or four years, but it's also, I, I want to be clear. It's not just Harden, you know, Eric Gordon will have like a three minute spurt where he goes off and Capella Capella has been awesome for them and he'll take over for four or five minutes. And so they've just had all these different guys stepping up for various stretches of these games. And, uh, and then when you add that to Harden and, and Chris Paul, who like Chris Paul, who we talked about on the last pod has been wild. Um, now, I think that there's also some room for skepticism here. And I'm just going to say that like, on some level, they remind me of a regular season team where guys are all kind of outperforming their role and will be a little bit exposed in the playoffs because guys like Trevor Ariza, guys like Capella, like Capella is is great in the regular season, but I don't think that he's going to really be like a difference maker in the playoffs. And uh, and Bob Mute, like you can go right down their roster. And basically everyone outside of, of Paul and Harden, they're like outperforming what they're what they're really gonna be in the in a playoff series. Uh, I kind of think that some of that is they're very well fitting role players and they're able to succeed in what they're being asked to do. And I think that those roles probably aren't gonna change a ton in the playoffs. And if there's been a knock on D'Antoni in previous years, is that he just keeps coaching the same way and then you know his whole style doesn't work and maybe the individual players look a little bit worse by comparison to their regular season selves, but it's more of a systemic failure rather than an individual failure of, of role guys. I, I look at them and mm-hmm. I just see fewer questions than every other team in the Western Conference besides Golden State. I mean, we could poke holes in all these teams and I regularly do it, whether it's Denver, we talked about San Antonio's shortcomings, Minnesota's issues. Uh, you were skeptical of Portland saying maybe they're going to go out in the first round. I mean, I think by process of elimination, uh, they're still in a really good spot. And I trust these guys almost more than I trust Cleveland because 
so many of Cleveland's players are new, and we haven't seen those guys tested in that format where, uh, you know, yes, Paul and Harden have had big hiccups in their postseason resumes, but they've also gotten a lot of reps. They're not going to be uh, intimidated by the moment uh, when they get there. Uh, so I think, you know, if I'm a Rockets fan, you know, I'm in full chess beating mode. I'm all in on Harden as the MVP yeah. candidate, and I'm feeling much more confident about this postseason than any previous one. To answer your previous question, FIFA Soccer, uh, Warcraft 2, those are my big video games. But <laughs> unlike Ranch Dressing, which I still haven't grown out of, I grew out of uh, video games you know, at a pretty young age. I do want to take one quick detour here uh, on okay. the issue of Warriors Rockets because uh, the last time the two best teams by regular season record or point differential played in the NBA Finals was 1998. And that was uh, basically Michael Jordan's shrug off of Brian Russell game. It's been 20 years. I mean, that tells us uh, that, yes, the playoffs can be unpredictable and the best teams who are in the regular season don't always turn into the best postseason teams. But it also really mm-hmm. reinforces how imbalanced the Western Conference has been versus the Eastern Conference over the last 20 years, right? And I think that could contribute to how we perceive the Rockets. If they go out in the Western Conference Finals, uh, again, it's going to be, uh, you know, hand. even if they make the Western Conference Finals, there's going to be some people who say, oh, well, their place in history really isn't as uh, prominent as it should be. They never made the finals. Hey, they're going to be just like the seven seconds or less Suns. I think that's really unfortunate. And I think the NBA really needs to get serious about this one to 16 idea. And the nightmare scenario that's been weighing on my mind, Andrew, is LeBron going yeah. to the Lakers next year. And the Western Conference semifinals being Golden State versus the Lakers and Houston versus San Antonio, where in the second round of the playoffs, you could have Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, potentially Paul George if he goes to the Lakers too, James Harden, Chris Paul, Kawhi Leonard, and LaMarcus Aldridge, all doing battle you know, in second round series just to get the right to go to the conference finals where on the eastern conference we're going to be pretending gordon hayward's the best player in the conference or it's is it hayward or hayward or Giannis? who's it going to be in the eastern conference so what i'm saying is this if lebron announces he's going to a western conference team on july 7th adam silver better have his announcement ready his press release ready to go on july 8th that they're changing the playoff format to a 1 to 16 field all right, listen, <laughs> we could cross that bridge when we get to it, but I need to push back a little bit on your idea that there's like a systemic issue in the NBA. Because if you look at the last 10 years or so of NBA finals matchups, like we've gotten some really, really good finals. And I like, I don't necessarily think that you can look at this and say it's not working. I mean, going back to like Heat Thunder in 2011, Heat Mavericks, like, look, those were great series. And like the the Cavs and the Warriors were were great before Durant went to Golden State. I think a lot of this is is a Warriors problem. And the Warriors are so good that they are throwing off how we we gauge the rest of the league. I disagree. I think that's a cop-out answer, Andrew, because first of all, 
if those matchups could have still taken place if you ranked it one to 16, depending on where those teams come out, right? You're just maximizing your opportunity to get the best possible series if you go to a one to 16 format. I can run through some examples for you. <coughs> 2000 Western Conference Finals, Blazers and Lakers. They're the two best teams in the league. They go seven games in the Western Conference Finals. The finals is an afterthought. 2002, Lakers, Kings, same exact thing. Final, yeah. Finals so is an afterthought. If Listen, you, look, if hold you on, drill hold down on, hold on, hold on. Two, the two most unfair teams of the last like no. 30 years you're right that, no that we've had some lopsided finals i'm still going 2007 suns and spurs two nba's two best teams they get knocked out early because they're on the same side of the bracket you can even go to the okay. eastern conference celtics and pistons 2008 they play a, a pretty competitive eastern conference finals and then it gets to the finals the lakers get blown out in game six completely wiped off the court by the celtics who was the more deserving team to be in the finals that year? I would argue the Pistons over the Lakers. You go to 2014, uh, Spurs-Thunder Western Conference Finals was better than Spurs-Heat Finals. You go to 2015, you have the Clippers and the Spurs playing in the first round, even though they're second and third in point differential. And you look at this year, Warriors-Rockets again, 1-2 uh, on record, and they're going to be on the same side of the bracket. So I see your counterexamples of you know 2013 with Ray Allen, phenomenal series, and 2016, phenomenal phenomenal comeback by LeBron James. Really? And every, I, no, and every I re- year, every year, except for the no, if, except for Cavs here. Warriors last year. Seriously, we're on it. We've, we've had a really nice run of competitive finals. So I, I, I'm just saying that if, if you're stressed out about like the finals not being competitive, they're not, I, that's a Warriors problem. Like Warriors Rockets conference finals is not going to be very competitive. I hate to break it to you mm. and I hate to end mm. our Rockets segment that way. Mm. I don't think it's going to be like particularly dramatic. Uh, well, first of all, there's two questions. One, sh- should it be the finals? Yes, it should. They're the two most deserving teams. That should be the finals. Two, is it going to be competitive? I love that you're writing them off. I hope they put that up in their billboard because they need this motivation. <laughs> They're on this winning streak. They haven't lost in weeks. They're probably getting tired of running teams off the court. Uh, they need this extra motivation. And it's not just me worried about the finals, Andrew. It's Adam Silver who's worried about the finals. And you should be too, because you haven't even considered the possibilities of how great the finals could have been if we had the best available matchups. You're just settling for what we've had, which has been arbitrary and good some years. I'm acknowledging that. The system is not entirely broken, but it's not as good as it could be. And we should try to fix it. Okay, let me... One more counter to what you're describing. I don't think that like the I'm not super passionate either way about reseeding the playoffs, but I do think that you're underestimating what we would lose narrative wise as well, because, you know, you go back to like early years of LeBron watching him have to go through the Celtics, the team that had kind of beaten him year after year was a cool thing and watching the 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 Warriors and the Clippers the uh, like early on with Steph was cool and watching like there's those threads of playoff basketball are meaningful and the idea that like having the Warriors beat the Rockets in six games in the finals is is so compelling that we should turn over the entire system is a little bit of a stretch to me. I think if LeBron goes to the goes to the Lakers this summer, it turns into sort of like a panic where okay, the league has to do something, but right now I think that this is mostly just the Warriors being better than everybody. Disagree because the Spurs have been better than everybody for 20 years and that's been a big factor too. Uh in in, <laughs> in the in the you know symptoms that I'm describing. Let me put it to you this way. 
if LeBron hadn't okay. existed, let's just take LeBron off the face of the planet. Like he just never comes along. And we have the same level of Western Conference dominance. And we would have had even more Western Conference dominance had LeBron not existed, right? Don't you think they would have yeah. already changed the playoff format by now? Don't you think Adam Silver would have been like, geez, we can't keep rolling out the freaking New Jersey Nets, you know, <laughs> to get stomped by uh, <laughs> the Western Conference's best. We got to do it's something true. else. There's no question. There's no question that we are one or two historical twists of fate, whether it's Jordan going to the Bulls or LeBron going to the Cavs. Like we're only one or two strokes away from like a 30 year drought of East relevance. Um, but I think as it stands, things have worked out pretty much yeah. okay. I know, uh, and we don't and want, we go, but we don't want too far. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. All I'm going to say um, is this, Andrew: pretty much okay is not the standard for you and me. Okay, we want to be great every day in what we do. Okay, and you know that's why we want a great playoff format. All right. Well, I've enjoyed some of the like the LeBron battles in the East over the last few years. Um, actually, that's that's a lie. <laughs> now I'm <laughs> yeah. going too far. You loved? Uh, <laughs> didn't you love Cavs Hawks? That was phenomenal. Remember the Delvadova injured half their team. It was just great drama. It was over in like seventy two hours, but for those three days, it was fantastic. <laughs> All right. Fine. Fair enough. I just don't know if it would be that much better reseeding it. You'd still have about half the series which aren't that interesting. Um, but I do have one more question for you on Houston, okay? Because I am pretty much sold on the Rockets. And what, I'm, what I said about the Warriors is true. Like, I wish that we could talk about this team without constantly comparing them to the Warriors because I think the way they're winning is really interesting and the level of success is pretty staggering. And, I, like... I mean, I, I hope that we at least get the, get to the Golden State Series. The one thing that I'm really not sold on with Harden is like his performance at the end of games is still really, really rough. And like some of the shots that he pulls up for are just absurd. Like the, the pull-up threes at the end of close games that he settles for, I don't know how he gets away with it. In turn, Like I wish... D'Antoni, that's another thing where like D'Antoni should be like, look, you've been getting to the rim all year long. Why are you pulling up for these shots? And uh, and so I just, that's the one thing that worries me is we haven't really seen them in close games and the, the close games that we've seen them in, they're still pretty shaky. Yeah, I mean, he, like a lot of alpha scores, trusts himself like 2% too much in those situations. And uh, I agree, yeah. he also tends to settle for his worst shots when he's playing against the best defenses. And that's been his biggest it's issue crazy. against Golden State. And look, it's not that surprising. I mean, when you have multiple guys who can get up in his jersey like Golden State does, and you've got an awesome rim protector who's smart and knows how to help and takes away some of the easiest stuff at the rim in a guy like Draymond Green, and you've got length uh, that they can show him with, with Kevin Durant, you know, kind of helping down as well. Uh, the temptation yeah. to settle or to force uh, gets to be, uh, you know, a lot harder. But I also think, I mean, LeBron has struggled against the Warriors defense too. He's put up triple doubles in the finals, but they've done a lot better job against him than anyone else has. And Harden, uh, you know, the weirdness in the end of the Spurs I'm, I'm series. I'm not strictly talking about the Warriors. Though. Yeah. I'm talking like even watching him against the Celtics, like he, he was kind of bailed out by Trevor Ariza in that game. Like he's still just pulls up for a lot of bad shots where you're like, is that really the play? Just you dribble for 10 seconds and then take a pull up three. Like I, I don't totally get it. It's almost like there's, there's like a, uh, 
brain freeze or something where like d- either D'Antoni's not calling anything or Harden just doesn't decides that like I'm going to switch it up and just take lazy pull-ups in the in big moments like you know I think it's, it's by design it's just kind of bizarre to watch I think D'Antoni is trying to like reprogram and counter program and say like whatever you thought was a bad shot it's not a bad shot like go out and do you <laughs> and he's trying to instill <laughs> yeah, confidence that way and I think that you're right to point out that occasionally that can come back to bite you but the times where it really shows through are against the most disciplined best defenses so you're right to mention the Celtics the Spurs last year, uh, you know, were incredibly disciplined. I mean, remember Pop losing his mind because they fouled Harden one time on a three-point shot? Like, he just, he was ready to leave the arena. He was so angry about it because they had played so disciplined late in that series against him. Uh, and then Golden State as well. Guys like Iguodala, quick hands, getting turnovers, making your life miserable because they're strong and physical. Uh, you know, those are, are tough defensive tests. So, if LeBron's yeah. struggling against some of those guys, I think, you know, Harden, some of his struggles can be explained, but they're all going to be under the microscope big time. I mean, even all the nice things that we've said for the last 20 minutes, even the most adamant, staunch Rockets fan is also going into the the playoffs with the thought in the back of his head, like, oh no, like <laughs> this could be the worst month of my entire life. You know, it could be similar yeah. to like what the Clippers guys, you know, Blake Griffin and Chris Paul came out of that 3-1 collapse to the Rockets that year. They came out just completely stunned, like, oh, uh, we don't know what happened. Oh, uh, it shook us, you know, and that basically led to their downfall. If the Rockets don't break through in the playoffs, uh, it will be a crisis, I think, for all of the involved parties, you know, starting with D'Antoni. Yeah, and and the Harden issues, I mean, it's not entirely like just a reputation for struggling in the clutch. Like there are some rational reasons for this happening. Like the the basically he gets less calls in those final minutes of close games and he takes worse shots. However, the Rockets may not play a close game for the rest of the season until they get to Golden State. I mean, they're up like double digits in most of these games and they've looked incredible, so they deserve a lot of credit. Um that the the last question, very quick quick on this one, uh who do you think is more likely to make the finals? The Rockets or the Raptors? Um, oh man, you're trying to set me up for some headlines, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> I would let me phrase it this way I think the Raptors would need less help to make the finals. Like, okay. I think there's a scenario where, like, it doesn't Basically, involve the, the Rockets need like a sprained ankle in there somewhere. Yeah. I mean, because they're going through easily the best team. I mean, the gap between, like, the other way to answer your question is the gap between Houston and uh, Golden State versus the gap between Toronto and Cleveland. And I just, I think Cleveland's very good. I think they're going to win the East, but they're definitely a lot more vulnerable than Golden State is. And you can envision a scenario where the Raptors knock them off in the conference finals. Um, that doesn't involve like LeBron missing three of the games, right? Whereas with the Rockets, yeah. I think they're going to need some help. So I would say that was not a short answer, which you requested, but I think the <laughs> the answer is the Raptors <laughs> no, have a, a better shot. I was shot. just trying to put you on the spot. Yeah, I was. I, I always like to put you in an awkward position where you have to say something nice about the Raptors because objectively the Raptors have a better shot. Um, and it's strange for me though, because two of my foundational beliefs as a basketball fan over the last like five years or so has been that I I don't respect the Rockets and I don't respect the Raptors. I'm like halfway to respecting the Rockets, but I will say 
the the Raptors, I'm really getting close to like picking them to win the East. They they are really impressive, and I like that Van Vliet lineup where they they run out Van Van Vliet and Lowry and move DeRozan to the three. I think that makes them pretty tough to guard. And uh, I don't know. We'll see. We can revisit that down the line, but it's something that something to think about. Yeah, I mean they've been balling like they're where they should be in terms of the standings. Like, I don't think it's fake. It's not, um, you know, it's not empty. They're not yeah. cheating the game. They've basically, they've maxed out what they can be. I mean, like as with the, with the pieces they have, they are the best possible version of what that team ever could have been. Um, so, and we'll see if it's enough, but can we I get, should move on. Well, to- hold on a second. I want to give you two annoying stats real quick. Uh, Houston, okay. Clutch scenarios this year, they have the second best winning percentage in the league. The only team better is Golden State. If you look at their net rating in the clutch, they rank number one. So, uh, you know, your your questions may very well, you know, come to the forefront, um, you know, come playoff time. But their track record here says they have not been utterly melting down in the clutch during the regular season. And they've actually been in, uh, you know, 25 clutch situations, which is not that many. Golden State's been in fewer um, but it's not like the least number, you know, so it's a pretty good sample. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, moving on to, uh, the middle of the, the West here, we've got a couple questions. Lewis says, I'm starting to think Anthony Davis is faking all these recent in-game injuries just to go to the locker room and get x-rays. Clearly the radiation is giving him special powers. How long until his ankles, knees, and hips start to glow with the rage of a thousand suns? It's a decent theory. Decent theory. I know you saw Anthony Davis in person, and that was another game where he walked off the court with an injury halfway through and then came back and just destroyed everyone. So what do you what what was that like? What's what's your take on the Anthony Davis experience at this point? I mean, riffing off of what he said, you know, it it very well could be a viral marketing experiment, right? Like Anthony Davis doesn't <laughs> get any respect unless people are panicking and, and saying, Oh no, Davis is hurt again. So he just like, you know, constantly checks it out to make sure everyone pays attention. Then he comes back in, scores thirty points and a half, and everyone's like, Oh my god, he's a hero. Uh if that's his plan, uh, you know, it's it's working out pretty well because that's exactly what happened in the Lakers game. It's like people were losing their minds and he comes back out at halftime. He's shooting jumpers and it's like, hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, uh, he's arisen. Like we get to see another two quarters of him. <laughs> uh, I would say this about Anthony Davis. The guy has been phenomenal. Obviously these last couple of months, what really struck me seeing him in person though, was that there was a lightness to everything that he was doing and not just like the soft touch on his shot, not just like how the, easily the, the touch on his turnarounds really is some of the softest touch I've seen from anyone in the league. Like he's basic. It's like a, a feathery jumper from wherever he is on the court. There, there's like a KD-esque vibe to it. Uh, and he's just moves. Yeah. I mean, he moves like a gazelle. Everybody said that since high school, right? So there's this lightness to him that I was not anticipating. And obviously they're on this big winning streak. So they're all super happy. He's in a great jovial mood in the locker room and all that. Uh, but when you think about like just how their season was looking like it was going, it was very jarring because, you know, we wrote the, oh, DeMarcus Cousins goes out. This is a time bomb on their entire situation. Coach is in trouble. Davis's future is in question. GM's in trouble. You know, what's up with the owner? I mean, there's all these things that could be weighing on him as a burden. And I was kind of expecting, you know, even when you hear these injury stories coming out of like, oh, Anthony Davis sort of like limping to the finish line here. That sort of was 
what I was kind of anticipating given yeah. um, all the outside dynamics. And it was really the opposite. And I think part of it is because he's getting a little help, Andrew. I mean, this guy's out here putting up 40s, as Emeka Okafor called it, you know, light work, just a typical day for Anthony Davis. Uh, but he's been getting help. Number one, they've been phenomenal in clutch situations all season long. And so, and he's a big reason why. He scores a lot of their clutch points. But a lot of them are assisted stuff around the basket. Guys like Holiday and Rondo... And you know how I feel about Rondo, not his biggest fan, <laughs> setting him up for really easy lobs and finishes and just, you know, like simple stuff around the basket that kind of like keeps their offense going. Um, that's one yeah. one aspect. And I also, and this is going to really seem wild and it must be opposite day because we're saying nice things about the Raptors and, and you're praising the Rockets and everything else. You have to take your hat off to Dell Demps for finding a Mecca Okafor. I mean, this guy is actually giving them quality minutes. He's 35 years old. I think, hold on. I think you have to take your hat off to Mecca Okafor. I feel like Dell Demps has been scraping the bottom of the barrel for about three years straight now. So I don't know how much credit hey. he gets for signing a dude oh. who hasn't been in the league for five years. No, he deserves but he deserves credit to Mecca, man. Okay, well, we could give Mecca a share of the credit too, but I'm not saying this <laughs> makes up for Omer Ashik, but Dell Demps was rolling snake eyes for four years straight and he plucked Mecca Okafor <laughs> out of nowhere. And that move, I mean, okay. honestly, look, I'm pretty sure they're undefeated since they moved Okafor to the starting lineup, uh, which was like midway through the streak. He is giving them quality minutes. He's giving them nice defensive presence. He's taking some of the wear and tear, making Anthony Davis's load defensively just that much easier because he is able to log some of those center minutes. And, uh, you know, you don't force Davis to be that full-time five. Uh, those little contributions, it doesn't take a lot when you have a one-man show like Davis. Those little contributions around the edges have been key. And then also Alvin Gentry, you know, he deserves some credit too. He's finally playing the way we thought he was going to play when he got down there to New Orleans, which is just faster than heck. You get up and down the court, turn Anthony Davis loose and see what happens. The style of play has been better since Cousins has been out, and that's helped Davis too. Yeah, I mean, I think... Drew Holiday, who you mentioned, but like he's just been awesome. Um, and he's closer to the version of the player that the Pelicans thought they were trading for like three years ago. And uh, and I think the, the issue with him has always been health, and he's been healthy for basically two seasons now because the, the games that he missed last year were because of his wife. Um, so it's it's awesome to see him out there. I think... There are a couple threads to this. Number one, with Davis, like these injuries are so stressful because he's just so awesome. And I, I, I think like the entire league deserves to have him out there for the, this final stretch. And we don't have to get into it now, but if, if this dude honestly averages like 38 and 15 for the final two months of the season, like he is getting... I I don't know I don't know if you would ever forgive me if I voted for him over Harden but like he belongs in the mix and will be right there uh if he keeps this going. But the the injuries like people people wonder like did everyone just forget about Anthony Davis? Like the injuries are a real thing and like he's probably going to miss Friday night against my Wizards and uh and it's definitely like the 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 one thing that's holding us back from like anointing this dude the, the future king of the league um, because you watched him against that Clippers team and like watching him against poor Kusta Kufos uh, in Sacramento the following night, like there's just nothing you can do with him. Um, 
And the only other thing that I, I'm curious about is whether you just think that they are better without Anthony D- or without uh, Boogie Cousins, because I do think that just running everything through Davis might be healthier than uh, than trying to make that like bulky fit work with Boogie. Well, the one thing I'd say about their current winning streak is there's a lot of soft wins in there. You know, I mean, running down the teams, well, the Nets, so the Pistons, there's, there's the Lakers, wins, but they're. They've also like come up huge against like the Spurs. That Clippers that Clippers game was not an easy win. I mean, the Clippers aren't like world beaters, but they've they've won a lot of games that I think like most objective observers would have been like, well, that's a loss, that's a loss, and they've done it. It's it's a credit to those guys. Yeah, I'm not trying to undercut it entirely, but when you're looking at more than half the teams being, you know, basically in that tank field when you're looking at the streak, you know, Sacramento, Phoenix, yeah, it's fair. They got a I mean, they got a lot of weak weak uh weak teams in that mix, but uh, you know, one other thing I want to float out here before we get to the Cousins talk, should Davis be in the defensive player of the year conversation too? Uh, I mean, we had we kind of praised him for his impact against the Bucks in that game where he was making Giannis just stymieing Giannis and and really you know making his life difficult. I mean, there was like four possessions in a row against the Clippers where he forced turnovers. He, it was like steal block, steal block, you know. And it's like there goes uh, you know twelve potential points for the Clippers just completely erased by this guy. Their team defense is not very good. It's like hovering around average. But I shudder to think yeah. what their team defense would look like without him. Uh, he's obviously, you know, a pretty uh, clear positive uh, in terms of the on-off numbers defensively. And I think if you really did remove him for the whole season, it would be ugly. Um, it's tricky because he's always does great on counting stats like steals and blocks, and we know that's not necessarily the most important thing when you're considering like defensive player of the year award. But I feel like he should probably be getting some buzz in that conversation too, if only because so many of the other candidates haven't been like overwhelmingly amazing this season uh, in large part due to injuries. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm all for it based strictly on his performance in that fourth quarter against the bucks. Uh, I mean, I'm not watching his defense that closely. He's, he's super active. Um, but and I also don't know, like it's, it's either him or Horford or like there, there's no obvious candidate beyond like voting for Draymond again. Um, so I, I would be fine with it just to sort of mix things up and recognize Anthony Davis. Um, but yeah, we can, we could table the boogie discussion actually, because I think that's sort of irrelevant. Like they're going to bring him back regardless. Cause that's their best option. Um, but it's definitely like one kind of underlying story here where like, I think everybody assumed their season was over and then like a month later, it's like, you know what? Maybe this is just a smarter way to play basketball. So, yeah. I mean, I think my other takeaway from Davis is, I mean, don't fall in love with the the cousins marriage, man. Like you're unbelievable with cousins. You're unbelievable without him. And you're going to be even (laughs) No, And it's cool. It's cool that they're clearly close and they've tried to make this work and they're both, they're all in, but like, it's probably better for both of them to split up. Totally. I feel the same way about that as I do Paul George and Russell Westbrook in Oklahoma City. It's like, Paul, don't yeah. talk yourself into playing with a quote-unquote <laughs> former MVP. but don't get crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. All right. Next question from Thomas. He says, conspiracy theory. Am I crazy to believe that all the drama with the Spurs and Kawhi's return is actually a front for some diabolical plan to tank into the seventh or eighth seed and bring Kawhi back? out of nowhere for a first round matchup with Golden State. Thomas, man, look, 
this is you're like several conspiracies behind as far as Kawhi is concerned. Yeah, that was like a November conspiracy. I think we're, we're we've moved on to like Jordan Brand masterminding a move to the coast, or I guess it would be Kawhi's people. Uh, but we're we're into the like sneaker phase of conspiracies with Kawhi. I do think there's been enough buzz around Kawhi that like it, it reminds me of Durant when he switched to Rock Nation it like a year or, or two years before he left o- Oklahoma City. Like whoever is ad- advising him and is uh, like around him every day, like that mix seems like it's changed somehow because there's just been too much so quickly that uh, there's got to be something else going on. Well, I hate to point this out again, but earlier this season, you scoffed at me when I mentioned, imagine if you're Kawhi's marketing guy, how are you feeling about how this injury thing has been playing out? You're trying to have him take it to the next level. <laughs> Lo and behold, three months later, we get the Jordan Brand extension uh, talks have stalled. He believes he's worth MVP money. Yeah. Look, it's a real thing. It affects everyone, even quiet superstars, You know, have people around them who want to maximize their earning potential when you can get it. You know, I mean, it's a very limited I mean, shelf life. It applies to everyone across the board. And for Kawhi, uh, he came out, and I think we should say this, in, in the midst of all this conspiracy talk, he tamped a lot of it down this week. You know, he basically said, I'm on the same page with Pop. I want to retire a Spur, you know, said all the other kinds of things that, uh, you know, Spurs fans, I'm sure, okay, were waiting so- months to hear. <laughs> uh, but... When there's smoke, there's fire. And I think that applies to the Spurs as well as any other NBA organization. Yeah, I have two responses. Number one, I think what I was making fun of more than anything was like Kawhi's marketing guy and how impossible that job would feel sometimes because Kawhi has basically turned down like every single opportunity until like nine months ago when he decided to start doing Jordan commercials. But um, the, the quote from him this week, was that was actually the, the first time I was like, oh, this guy's really going to leave because it just brought back flashbacks of like Boogie being like, I want to get my, my jersey retired by the Kings. Like every every p- major guy who's left, I think Paul George was talking about being committed at, to being a pacer. Like everyone who's left has uh, proclaimed their like loyalty over the last five years and – so I don't know. I'm sure Spurs fans are no less like anxious here. Trey says, what are your thoughts on plus-minus stats? Steph Curry leads the NBA in total plus-minus. Clay is third. Fred Van Vliet is 12th. I'm curious for your thoughts here. Uh, I've always liked plus-minus. Um, I think the, the best version is real plus-minus. There's no question about it. It adjusts for more things. It's more accurate. It takes out some of the noise with lineups and matchups and so forth. Uh, it's not the be all end all. I wouldn't say that, you know, you'd rank the top 100 players based on who has the top 100 plus minuses, but it does reveal certain things like for Curry, he's basically led the league in plus minus for essentially four or five straight years. That speaks to the offensive impact stuff, which you love to harp on and how he's able to make his teammates better in sort of hidden ways. You know, the Curry effect of dragging all the other defenders towards him. Uh, that plus minus helps kind of confirm our, our eye test in a lot of ways. Uh, mm-hmm. And I also think it's really good at identifying who are the worst players. Like guys like Moutier, 
uh, you know, this is a little inside baseball, but like if people wonder why sometimes I cr- come out crushing people so hard, it's because the uh, the plus minus da- uh, data is so overwhelming against them that the odds they're ever going to be able to turn things around uh, is minimal. So it, it makes it easy to pick on guys like Moutier or Jaleel Okafor. I mean, guys who are just basically lost causes. And, you know, I kind of proclaimed Moutier was going to be the tank commander for the Knicks down the stretch. I mean, that has been working beautifully for them. They <laughs> just keep it's running him out really there. Tough, yeah. man. <laughs> it's really tough. It's really tough to the point where it's a little uncomfortable uh, for with both Moutier and Jaleel Okafor. Like, I do hope that they find somewhere in the NBA where they can, like, contribute in a way that is in a contribute beyond, like, tanking. Um but the my thought on plus minus is similar to yours. Where like for the most part, this is just confirming stuff that we already know. Um, but I do think that like there's real value in the case of someone like Fred Van Vliet. And it, honestly, like if you even if you go back to the year Fred Van Vliet was drafted, uh, Kevin Pelton, I, Kevin Pelton's like draft formula. I don't really know what it entails, but it's it's pretty valuable year after year for uncovering like a a couple different guys who will contribute more than you would have realized. And Fred Van Vliet was a guy that he liked a lot. And, uh, and so he was a guy that I started paying attention to. And he not only has, has like panned out as more than you'd ever expect from an undrafted dude, but he's like the, the plus minus stuff isn't a lie. Like that dude is a winning player and should be on the court a lot. And, uh, and that, that's one thing that we're like, if not for analytics, I'm not sure people would notice it, but it's cool that there are, there are enough numbers out there now to where certain guys like that do get highlighted. Yeah. One other thing I'd say with plus minus is if the impact stats, the on off numbers and plus minus real plus minus all say one thing about a player and the raw stats say something else, I will almost always defer to the impact stats. Like, for example, like Enos Cantor for years is the classic, right? You know, he's puts yeah, up these true. huge popcorn stats, but the plus minus numbers are always terrible. More and more, what we see in the postseason is those kinds of guys with the really negative plus minuses are the same guys who are going to get picked on and basically played off the court uh, most quickly. So when there's a conflict between like eye test says, oh, wow, this guy's like super productive. And, you know, the, the box score says that. But plus minus says something else. I usually side with, you know, the impact stats and plus minus. I'd also say this, you know, Trey, if you're experimenting with plus minus, you know, not to be like a pusher here, but uh, let me recommend lineup stats because they're even better. You know, you get the five man lineup groups, then you can see how those two those teams play, uh, you know, when they're together. So you're sort of getting the plus minus data, but it's groupings of players. That's a great way to separate the teams who you really need to take seriously who have you know excellent five man groups they can put out there in crunch time that are well balanced that play good defense and you know so what, forth. Man? <laughs> and it's better than that. Then You're right. So I'd say like you know start off with the plus minus and maybe graduate to uh, to the lineup stats. Yes. Uh, well, thank you for that. I agree that that lineup data is actually the most valuable of all. Um, but I, I I will say as you were talking, I just had a flash where I was like, wow, I just gave like some sincere thoughts on plus minus. I'm now listening to Ben drone on. And like, this is, this is my life now. Hey. I've, I've 
so far past the line of like into deep uh but here we are well um, look so i was let's keep it going i was gonna let you go because you you said he was a quote-unquote winning player and i was like oh yikes but i, I was <laughs> no, it's terrible <laughs> it's really terrible but he is uh shout out to fred van vliet uh, open floor mvp um Jaden says what are your guys' opinions on the current Nets roster? And then he had a couple more specific questions. And then he said, I'm a native Aboriginal Australian, and I would love to show Ben some wildlife if he's ever down here. I know how he how he feels about the great outdoors. I don't know why he extended that invitation to you and not me. I would like to take a tour through the Australian outback. So, Jaden, holler at me. <laughs> uh, the only reason I included this I think that everyone around the NBA has overlooked how sad this current net season is because like they're in the middle of the tanking race and they are the one team that is not trying to lose night after night. Uh, and yet they currently have the third best lottery odds uh, in the league. And it's kind of incredible. I mean, all these other teams are like moving hell- heaven and earth to uh to lose games and the nets are just being the nets no i hear you and we've already tried to do the hey look the nets are terrible but there's a glimmer of hope four years down the horizon stories <laughs> for two years now right we can't go back yeah. to that well it's not even like and the- there's also been there's been a lot of like the nets are building the smart way like people need to pay attention to what the nets are doing they're they're more fun than you think and uh it's just brutal maybe it's all d'angelo russell's fault i'm open to that possibility too i think the main thing is their chicken uh, their tickets are cheaper than the knicks uh, they're more media accessible than the knicks and so if you're trying to break in you know like Go to Brooklyn. That's your that's your place to do it as a media member <laughs> and try to spin your yarns, whatever they're going to be. Uh, no, the Nets exist. They're terrible. Uh, I don't find them interesting or compelling at all. Uh, it's going to be multiple years until they reach that uh, you know that level. And I would much rather just sort of brainstorm travel ideas to the Australian outback than spend another thirty seconds talking about the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> yeah, we just can't do it. I'm sorry. Uh, but sticking with the tankers for a minute, Steven says, which teams do you think will leave the Tankathon Losers Lounge first? Uh, I like that idea of the Losers Lounge. Could it be that Buddy Heald and Sacramento Kings are just one good player from an eighth seed? Can we count the Lakers in the Tankathon race? I think if you count the Lakers in the Tankathon race or Tank Stravaganza, as Rohan, uh, our Sports Illustrated colleague, called it, um, I think the Lakers are the clear favorite to leave the tank extravaganza first um, or the loser's lounge. But among the teams at the bottom of the league, like, would you say Memphis? I want to say Phoenix, but I know that I know that you're not a Ryan McDonough believer. Um, but who I mean, all of these teams look like they're like several years away. Well, look, if you're listening to Robert Sarver, the Suns owner, he says they're about to turn the corner. Now, he didn't clarify, <laughs> are they turning the corner into a, a blind alley where they're about to get mugged again for the fifth straight season? He, he didn't clarify that, but he, <laughs> he sees a brighter future for the Suns. Um, it's a weird kind of a, not a great answer. If Mike Conley's back, are they automatically out of the tank 
race next year? Is he good enough with Marcus Gasol if they have that two-man combo and you surround them with the G League type guys they yeah. have? Is that enough? Because uh, I think so. Th- that's not really getting at the heart of what his question is, though, I don't think, which is like... No, but I also think that, that it's kind of interesting with Memphis because... Marcus Saul hasn't been happy, and you could e- I could easily see a, a scenario where they turn around and try to trade him in June or July. And if you take Gasol off that roster, I don't think Mike Conley is enough to really make a difference for Memphis. Yeah, you'd probably try to trade him too if you could, you know, by any means necessary, and just be the Nets West yeah. at that point. Um, I think. Uh, the Lakers have already graduated. Would you agree with that? I mean, I don't really consider them in the lowest of the low conversation anymore. I don't want to overhype how well they've played here since the All-Star break, but they've been be- <laughs> they've been better. And, you know, they're trying, uh, like you said, and I would just find it very hard to believe they would make the progress they've made this season and then just completely fall back to earth and be in tatters next year. I think guys like Ingram and, and Lonzo are progressing enough here where we can say they will not be on the Kings and Suns level next year. No, I I think that is that's fair. I do I do worry a little bit about if if the Lakers strike out over the summer, they're still going to be coming into next season with fans being like, "Look, we closed the year strong. We oh, won yeah. thirty six or thirty seven games, and there's going to be a lot of playoff hype for like Lonzo and Ingram and Josh Hart, and it's going to be a little tricky." Yeah, uh, that's a great point. Um, the LA expectations are rough. I mean, look no further than the LA. Yeah. The LA Braun <laughs> billboards they being are released. Fun. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't know. I'm not sure there's a great answer to this question. I mean, you know, another shortcut possibility team would be Dallas, where if Mark Cuban goes out and, and does what he usually, do, you know, is willing to do, which is overpay for sort of mediocre veterans and hope that can make them an eighth seed. You know, I could see them you know, yeah. trying to throw that together next year too. But uh, there's, you know, it's very dim hope for a lot of these teams. And that's why they're tanking <laughs> so hard this year. Yeah. That's why they're trying to lose for two months straight because they've got nothing going for them. 30% of the league is doomed. That w- That's basically what we've learned here. Um, and not doesn't really have any hope in sight. Uh, but it'll change when, once they once the draft comes around. We'll, we'll, at, there'll be faint glimmers of hope for at least three of those teams. Moving on, we've got a couple more things at the end here. Barack says, what are the top three days in NBA Twitter history? My top three, the DeAndre Emoji War, JR throwing soup, and the Orlando Magic whiteboard being revealed. And then he, he lists some honorable mentions. Uh, I don't want to be here from Eric Bledsoe. Retweet Armageddon from the Sixers fans, Alt Sixers, um, and writes to Ricky Sanchez. LeBron's Arthur meme. Any of the last few trade deadlines at D'Angelo Russell versus Swaggy P. Do you have any nominations to add to that group? Well, I would say his is a little recency bias. I, I consider my an, myself a Twitter OG, not an original gangster. I'm just an old guy. I remember way, <laughs> way back in the day of Twitter. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I have a couple of personal favorites, but first of all, I would say the most magical times for Twitter was when going viral first started to become a thing. Like Blake Griffin's like first Moskov dunk, having that spread on Twitter was just unreal oh, to watch. That's really true. Uh, another yeah. one I would say was DeAndre with the Brandon Knight. I mean, that was the one where like the highlight play turned to the full fledged meme war where people were like rushing to Wikipedia and, and people were like putting caskets on the pictures and the videos and just like going so <laughs> people went so above yeah. and beyond on that that Woj had to write that column saying, like, hey, look. 
look, Brandon Knight tried. He rotated on defense. Like <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> so, that was the best. Woj sticking up for the the charge takers of the world. I loved that. I thought it was great. Uh, I saw exactly what he was doing when he did it, and it was so necessary at that moment. Uh, two other personal favorites, though. Uh, and these were not like on the level of the emoji war and stuff that anybody else would remember. But the first one was uh, there was a member Brandon Roy's big like fourth quarter game against the Mavericks during the playoffs. Um, it was like the best moment in Blazers sort history of, yeah. up until like 2008. Yeah. Uh, was yeah. Twitter even around at that point? It was very, very early. And it, it was like the best moment in Blazers history in like a decade. And it quickly got usurped by Damian Lillard's like big three pointer against the Rockets. But he led this huge fourth quarter comeback. They ended up losing the series, which is like kind of typical Blazers. But uh, that was the yeah. first time my computer ever crashed from Twitter activity. Like I had tweeted a few like Brandon Roy post game quotes and like fan reactions and whatever. And I was like sitting in there and basically my laptop just like melted down onto itself. And like I was on deadline for like two different columns and I couldn't do anything. That one will always stick with me as like a Twitter special because it was the first time. Twitter rendered me like incapable of working for, you know, an extended period of time. Uh, and the, yeah, se- the first, second one, first of many. Yeah. The, the second one is, is closer to some of these. And it was, do you remember when Drake lint rolled his pants when he was sitting at a Raptors game? Do you, ha- do you happen to have a recollection <laughs> yes, of this? Totally. <laughs> so I'm going to give, that full, was like 2013, right? Full credit where credit is due. Holly McKenzie, who is a, a writer in Canada for Raptors.com has covered the team forever and it was a huge Drake stand at the time. It was, I would consider, I think at that point, Drake was maybe more popular than he is currently. He was still like pretty fresh and uh, memes were really starting to become a, a part of society. So anyway, he's like lint rolling his pants. She essentially begs me to go find the video of it. I have to spend like 20 minutes like rewinding through this random second quarter of a Raptors game to try to find when Drake's doing it. I finally do it. I put it up on Twitter, not thinking anything is going to happen. And it was like the first time I think I'd ever gotten maybe like a thousand retweets on something. It just went absolutely insane. I was getting followed by like all these uh, entertainment (laughs) weekly breaking news writers and like, you know, like all these teen magazines, you know, that MTV news, all these sites I'd never even like visited or or thought to you know come across we're all drawn by this moment from drake but then that next summer at like toronto summer jam or whatever they called it he put the video of himself lint rolling up during the concert and so i thought that was the moment where like you know twitter had really like completely overtaken my life where like this meme uh, (laughs) of this video that for whatever reason i had shared on the internet now became a centerpiece of a drake concert i just felt at one with him i quickly followed him on twitter after that i'm still waiting four years actually five years later for the uh the refollow i don't know it must have got lost in the shuffle he hasn't found me yet but uh (laughs) those are some of my favorite twitter moments Okay, well, can I just say, <clears throat> it makes me really happy that you stayed perfectly on brand with your new thought persona and chose your favorite moments were, mo- were all moments where you personally went viral. <laughs> um, that's fantastic. Hey, and, look, uh, he nailed everything. He had all the best ones. What was I supposed to say? I hear you. I hear you. I have I have two additions to this this class. I, the the lint rolling thing. I didn't know that you were involved in that, but that that was really uh, a great one. I would add. Well, first of all, the the DeAndre Jordan emoji war <clears throat> is is truly in a different category because that was 
before um before NBA Twitter had really become like totally self-aware and it the whole thing was just it was like 36 hours of surreal developments from DeAndre and uh and that or, or not not from DeAndre from everyone around DeAndre Jordan and the whole thing was just incredible and some of the most fun I've had on the internet like probably ever um it's, it's definitely where like the internet peaked for me um and then I would also add 2016 free agency the like first 24 hours where those contracts started started to be handed out uh was absolutely incredible i mean you had and like the mozgov deal the Joakim noah deal that was like all all i all i was doing i think i was on vacation at the time and i was literally just like updating twitter for about 12 hours straight and uh it did not disappoint um and then the other thing i think you made a good point. There's too much recency bias because really like the best Twitter, the best Twitter has ever been for me was probably at, in the aftermath of the 2010 uh, Mavericks title because there was just so much shit talking and just so much like delight it at the, the failure of the heat. And uh, it was... Both, so basically, we were getting like nonstop jokes at LeBron's expense, and we were all immature and idiotic about that whole thing. But still, it was it was great in the moment. And then at the same time, pictures of Dirk celebrating. We got like I remember there was news about like Birdman had lost like a million dollars betting on the Heat. Uh, there was just like all kinds of shit flying around, and it was a it was an unbelievable thirty six hour period for the for the basketball internet yeah i mean there's no question i thought twitter's peak was in that range you know 2010 to 13 and i hate to sound like the old guy but i'm just gonna own it i mean i think it's not as good as it was there are these standout moments though like you're mentioning with free agency or whatever you know weirdness comes along are now amplified to such a a greater degree that that is more impressive you know like Having yeah. twenty thousand people retweet like the Orlando Magic's whiteboard and knowing that's going to get their GM fired two months later is <laughs> I know it's it, like a a real thing now a development yeah. that everyone has to be conscious of. Yeah, uh, I just liked it better when add, it was a, a secret society, though. You know, that's what it felt like in the early days. It was just sort of like yes, you know, it was like secret code signals. It's sort of like Fight Club. You know, can I one up you on on your old guy take? Please, anytime. 30 plus sharp is always welcome here. <laughs> okay, so the JR soup thing, man, that happened. I was I was very sick uh with like a cold flu combination. I was in bed and this was the same time that the East Coast got hit with that weird nor'easter where like there wasn't any rain or snow, but it was just 75 mile an hour winds in DC and my house had lost power and so I was just sitting there in bed and didn't really have any power was pretty sick and I was reading Twitter and reading everybody like going in on the JR soup thing and I just didn't think any of it was funny I like everyone was trying too hard and this and JR Smith in particular I saw that and I was just like this dude is 33 years old throwing a, a, a bowl of soup at another human. Like, what the fuck is wrong with him? And I was just so grumpy about the whole thing. And it was probably said more about where I was that day than where 
basketball Twitter was, but I was I was out on the entire J.R. Smith soup experiment. I was as well. I uh, didn't really find it that <laughs> funny. I, I mean, I remember when he was posting like naked photos of his jump offs. Can we say that? Is that <laughs> Elizabeth? Yes. I don't know if that's a phrase that's Elizabeth proof or not. But, uh, you know, I remember when he was posting naked photos on Twitter. I mean, that to me, I mean, you remember the reaction and, and like, I'm pretty sure that was still the David Stern era when he did that. I mean, oh yeah. my gosh, the league was just losing its <laughs> mind at early J.R. Smith. So, you know, the suit by comparison, you know, what, what are you going to say? But, um, yeah, like I said, you know, he, he, Barack's list was excellent, but it was just you know yes. shaded with slight recency bias. Yeah, well, um, I don't know who who knows what we have to look forward to over the next few months. I do, I do hope that Jarrah Smith like gets his shit together though, because uh, it's been a long time since that that first photo of the jump off, which I think was like a part of a war with Joe Budden or something. Um, I don't know. We could spend all day talking about 2011 basketball internet. Uh, But two more questions. Ethan says, as a resident from Minnesota, I'm deeply offended by the hot take of the Minnesota State Fair. If you had gone with a group of Minnesotans and took in the actual traditions, you would have enjoyed your time much more. Did you even eat any Minnesota State Fair cheese curds, sweet Martha's cookie, sweet corn? (laughs) Sweet corn. Did you ride the giant slide? What do you have to say for yourself, Ben? Uh, well, Ethan, uh, I hate to break it to you, but I, I got my fill of cheese curds in North Dakota. Gotta say, they're probably better. <laughs> uh, no, look, we got a ton of pushback on the Minnesota State Fair thing. Um, guys, it's it's more about me being in crowds with you know 150,000 people or whatever. It, it's less of a commentary on the actual event. Um, I did like how somebody emailed us to say that that list where Minnesota was ranked the number two state in the country. And we were kind of wondering like, what could they possibly have done? Somehow Iowa yeah. was ranked number one on that same list because they were going off <laughs> things like access to healthcare and quality of education, which, you know, silly. Why would anyone care about it those was a things? list of best state fairs probably. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to apologize to Minnesota. Like I said, I've already gotten, uh, you know, my immunity, uh, thanks to our friend was, but, People were really interested in letting everyone know that it's the most attended per day. I think that we hadn't, we maybe slighted them a little bit. They got basically 2 million last year over only a 12 day period, bigger than even Texas, Andrew. So you really have to show respect to our, our, our Viking friends from up north. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, all I'll say is there were a couple people who said who who took issue with me saying I I can't think of any reason to go to Minnesota for other than the state fair and I misspoke there. I there are a lot of reasons to go to Minnesota. I I've heard for the like 4 to 5 months of the year where it's not winter in Minnesota, uh it's a a fantastic state. So I want to go I want to get out there in the summer at some point. I just don't know that many people from Minnesota, so I I would basically be like going there on my own, which I, I know is normal for, for you, Ben, but not really something that I do. Uh, I'm usually visiting friends somewhere. But um, yeah, shout out to Minnesota. I Look, cheese curds, Just, wait, hold sweet on. Martha's cookies, hold on, hold <laughs> the, on. the giant slide. I didn't know there was anything. I didn't know there was a giant slide, but I want to get there. This surely ends with Waz and Ethan taking you, their new friend, to the Minnesota State <laughs> Fair. This is the only way this story can end, I think. Yeah, this is our version of a rights to Ricky Sanchez bus trip. <laughs> I'll, I'll fly out to Minnesota by myself. Um, 
The last thing was from another Minnesotan, David, after after registering his complaints about our, our state fair takes. He said, P.S. I don't understand how every time you say, until next time, I'll talk to you, is a proper way to say goodbye. I'll talk to you later would work, or simply until next time would make a lot more sense. And that is a fair criticism. I say a lot of things that don't totally make sense. Um, no, Andrew, but, uh, I'm I don't the, know. I'll talk I'm, to you. Am, Andrew, I'm the one who says that, though. You've got this screwed up. Do you? Yeah. Every- I feel like I say I'll talk to you. No, okay. Well, this is clearly the clearest evidence yet that you do t- tune me out constantly because every episode <laughs> I end it with those words, until next time, I'll talk to you. And you say, all right, man. And then that's wow. the end of the show. <laughs> We've been doing this for two years and you never even listen. Man, we need couples counseling. What are we even doing here? I don't know. It's t- it's definitely time to go. But look, we'll be back next week. Thank you to everyone who wrote in. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Hit us with questions uh, for, for next week's episode. And uh, Ben, I'll talk to you later. Until next time. Five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Ben Oliver on Instagram. Until next time, Andrew, I'll talk to you. <laughs> All right. Take it easy. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.